Hey everybody, welcome back to Small Town Camera. Today is episode seven, and we're gonna be discussing how to price yourself within your market, as well as some best practices for any camera business, and a quick review of the new Tamron 24-70 lens. Thanks for listening. So for this episode, I kind of wanted to go through a few things that I feel is really important before you start your uh, money-making path with your camera, whether that's for photography, videography, or anything uh, creative-wise with your camera. The first thing you need to consider is, are you doing this for fun, or are you doing this as a career, or maybe somewhere in the middle? Uh, If you're doing it for fun, that's great. If you can make a little money on the side, awesome. I mean, that should probably help you... Uh, buy a new memory card, buy a new lens eventually, um, keep your wife off your back if you're constantly buying gear. You're like, babe, it's, it's, it's for my job, you know, I'm making money. Uh, if this is your career, you're going to take a vastly different approach than uh, probably what I'm going to go into more in depth in this episode. Uh, I'm only speaking from my experience because I'm kind of somewhere in the middle. I, I do it more than just for fun. I do it uh, part-time as a, a little bit of a side hustle to make a little extra money. And uh, that's worked out really well for me for the last few years. I have been full-time before and owned a studio. Uh, it's really, really stressful. And for me personally, when I was doing it full-time and just grinding super, super hard and constantly hustling, trying to find new new clients, new business, it kind of took the fun out of it for me, and it really burnt me out. So if you don't maybe have the the disposition or the work ethic to really stand behind what you're choosing to do as your career, I'd maybe advise you to think about what you're doing with your time and with your with your career choice, because photography is a beautiful thing. So is videography. I mean, if you're able to use your camera and create something that someone would not be able to do for themselves... That's a huge gift that you can give to somebody, even if you're charging them money. I think it's really important that we distinguish between creating art for fun and creating art for money, because once those two worlds collide, uh, there's no turning back. (laughs) I think you get used to making money with your camera, and uh, you kind of get into this rut where you don't really want to make things as a passion project or make things just for fun anymore. You just want to make things to make money. And, and that's fine. It's okay to do that. Uh, but you have to keep in perspective that maybe every now and again, you need to do like a passion project or something for free where uh, something I like to do is every now and again, I will find someone who maybe can't afford my services. And I will either give them a significant discount or I will just do it for free. Uh, just because then there's no pressure on me. It's all good. I, I get to just be as creative as I'd like, and I can do whatever I'd like, and whatever those people end up with most of the time, uh, they're just so grateful for the opportunity to either have like a family picture, or or maybe it's a wedding that I was able to give away to somebody. I mean, what an amazing wedding gift, right? I, the average photography session, I think, for at least in this area, is one to two thousand dollars. If you're able to give somebody one to two thousand dollars as a wedding present, isn't aren't you like the favorite family member at that point? I I would hope so. The next thing you need to figure out is what is your time worth? What do you actually need to make per hour to make it so you're actually making money? Um, 
and I'm not going to I'm not going to bag on people that uh, that you know are maybe just starting out and uh, maybe just bought their first camera and they they don't really know what to charge. Hopefully, during the course of this episode, you can kind of hammer that out and figure it out a little bit better for yourself. But if you are just just starting out and you're charging, you know, ten, twenty, fifty dollars for a family session, that's great. That's fine. I'm sure you're probably helping somebody out. But ultimately, you are paying them for your time. If you're trying to build a portfolio and you're trying to offset the cost of of your time and and the use of your equipment, that's fine. That's great if you need to just charge them a little bit. But just know, if that's going to be your standard pricing, it's like $10, $20, $30, $40 for a family session, you are making less than minimum wage. That doesn't make any sense. For me personally, if I'm not making... $100 100 to $200 per hour with my camera, I really have to sit down and think about it and go, is this worth it? Is this really worth my time? What other things could I possibly be doing with my time that would be better? Uh, maybe spend time with my children. Maybe spend time with my spouse. Maybe spend time with you know my extended family. Things like that that are more important than work, right? So you kind of have to think about that. What am I giving up by taking this wedding? Weddings are most of the time on the weekend. So what am I giving up? I'm giving up my weekend. That means no time with family. Uh, that means I'm going to be up late editing because I have to work a regular job or, you know, time time away. That's really what you're giving. Um, the next thing you need to figure out when you're looking to make money with your camera is who your customer is. That's kind of a hard thing to assess at first when you're getting started, but ultimately you just need to start with your immediate network. So that would be your family, your friends, and then eventually you can branch out to friends of friends and maybe the extended family that you never talk to that you maybe see once a year at the family reunion and everybody stays on their side of the room and they stay on their side of the room because nobody knows who you are. (laughs) I have that family, so I totally can relate to that. Um, most of the time your customer is going to be somebody who is like you. That's the, that's the, uh, the default, I guess you could say. People that relate to you, they, they're into what you're into. So they can kind of be on the same page. And then as you get better at marketing, as you get better at your craft and reaching out to people, as you get more notoriety and name recognition in your community and your market, you're going to attract people that are maybe not like you, but appreciate your work. And that's when you can really start making some serious money. The other thing you have to consider is how good are you at selling yourself? Are you really, really good at talking with people? Are you are you shy? I mean, I know a lot of photographers that are so talented visually. They are so talented behind the camera, um, maybe at the computer, but they're terrible at talking to people. They can't look people in the eye. They can't, you know, do a firm handshake. They can't uh, talk to people on the phone or, you know, maybe they're just socially awkward. And if you're one of those people, that's totally fine. You just need to realize that that is a skill that you need to develop as a business owner. You are going to make twice as much money if you're able to sell yourself and help people understand your vision through communicating with those people. If you're not able to do that, you're going to struggle. I can just tell you that right now. If you're if you're maybe never going to get to that point where you are just a uh, introverted person, maybe consider hiring somebody to be your sales person who's going to be your face, 
maybe that's your spouse or, or maybe a friend, but bring somebody in that can actually communicate your vision and uh, your passion for your work to the customer, to your client. If you're not able to do that, they're going to look at you and be like, well, I'm not really sure I have a ton of confidence in, in this person's ability to deliver what they're talking about. Uh, obviously, when we're doing things like weddings, we get one shot at that, you guys. We get one. That's I think that's one piece of, of the wedding world that I really love is that it's really high stakes. It's kind of an adrenaline rush. Uh, you really have to know what you're doing to take a wedding because you don't want to pay for somebody's wedding to be shot over. Uh, you just it's just impossible to do it. So the next question you need to ask yourself is what is my market like? You need to do a little bit of research for the market in which you live. So if you're in a small town like me, if you're in uh, a rural farm community that's like maybe 50,000 people or less, you need to figure out what other photographers are charging in your area so you're not like way out of the ballpark when it comes to pricing uh pricing yourself for your market because people do research nowadays people hop on the internet they read reviews they check prices they're always looking for a deal because that's what we're used to as a culture now we're used to finding the the cheapest but best thing that we can get our hands on which kind of hurts all of us in the end that are providing a professional service and i don't want you to feel like you have to undervalue yourself to make money because you don't but you just need to understand that there are those people out there that are going to be deal hounds that are going to be just hunting for the best price or even try to negotiate with you. I've had more than one wedding client sit down with me in my studio at my desk and say, okay, I know that you charge $1,500 for this wedding package, but would you be willing to do it for 1000 I mean, people are like, there's no shame. People will totally negotiate with you in your own place of business and try to tell you that what you're charging is too much and that you should do it for less because they're doing you a favor by giving you their business. And I guess that's up to you if you feel like uh, you need to negotiate to, to keep the lights on. I don't know. I mean, you do what's good for you, but I, I don't negotiate when it comes to my pricing. Um, if I give a discount, it's because I feel that the person deserves it, meaning that maybe my pricing for a wedding or maybe my pricing for a family session is such that it's probably a little bit out of their price range, and I just want to be able to give back a little bit and, and help somebody out, you know, make sure that they have a good experience. So that's for the small market. You need to look and see what everybody else is charging, um, but you need to really figure out how much money per hour you need to make so if you're going to make $50 an hour that's pretty good for a small town um, just make sure that you're factoring your editing time your travel time and uh, time that you're spending doing consultations things like that all right so let's take a step up now into the middle market that's places that are like 500,000 people maybe even up to a million people uh, in your market area so places like like Salt Lake City Utah or uh like Denver, Colorado, like places like that that I'm, I'm somewhat familiar with that are in my general geographic location that are pretty decent size. I mean, they'll actually have a, uh, like a metro downtown area, things like that. For those, it's pretty competitive. You know, they, they get to be very competitive, and you really have to stand out to do that. Uh, one thing that I was able to do when I first got started was I just charged a little bit less 
than a few of my competitors while I was getting started. Now, once I got busy enough and I had enough notoriety and I had enough name recognition in my market, then I was able to raise my prices and it didn't affect my workflow. It didn't affect my my pipeline. I was still getting new people in the door because uh, people had seen my work before and, and, and it made sense for me to do that. If you're in a large city, if you're, that, this is the next one, if you're in like New York City, Los Angeles, um, maybe you're in Florida, like in Orlando, or like just a really, really large market where there's tons and tons of people, that's great. That's awesome. Um, most likely you're going to be able to charge more than anybody listening to this podcast. You're going to be able to, you know, you're going to be in that five to $10,000 mark for a wedding, which um, I think I've done one of those <laughs> in the last, you know, eight or 10 years. And they're super fun. They're great because they have everything that you would see in your mind's eye for a wedding, you know, like the, the grand uh, ballroom and like the grand dining area and like everything is super, super high end and nice. Those are so fun. If you get an opportunity to travel and, and take a high end wedding, I highly recommend it. They are high stakes and super high stress, but the, the images and the experience that you get out of it is awesome. The one thing you need to do in a large market like New York or, or LA, obviously I, I don't have any real world experience doing this, but I do have friends that are in these markets and what they have to do is be super proactive with social media, super proactive with social media and marketing, uh, whether that is through marketing word of mouth or marketing through the internet or uh, I know a couple of people that have bought ads in um uh, wedding magazines, uh, they sponsor different different events in their cities uh, to get more name recognition and just create some buzz. So if you're making lots of money, it kind of takes money to make money in those kind of markets. So just be aware of that. For those of us that are in the small town uh, kind of market, we don't need as much advertising budget as these as these large guys do, which is an advantage in itself, I guess. But they're making more money than us, so uh, it's all relative. It's going to cost them more money for rental space, uh, for living space, for food, for transport. It's all way more money uh, to live in those large areas, and so it's all relative, I guess. So one one thing that I forgot to mention at the beginning of this, if you want to start making money with your camera, then stop giving everything away. If you want to give certain people the gift of you know your craft that's your choice but make sure it's not every single session you're like well normally i charge two hundred dollars but i'm i'm too insecure to charge what i'm worth so i'm going to do it for a hundred because i know that they'll take it if i do it for a hundred you got to stop doing that i can't i can't tell you how many times i did that before i woke up one day and was like you know what this is bull crap i deserve the $200, or I deserve that $500 for that large family session. I'm giving up two hours of my time just in shooting. I'm giving up, you know, fuel in my car, maintenance on my car, travel time. I'm going to be sitting at my computer for the next three or four hours editing these and making sure they're perfect, and uh, I'm going to be communicating back and forth with the client and updating them and updating my website and, you know, doing all these things. It just takes so much time. So if we're only charging you know, 50 to to $100 for something that's going to take us four hours, 
it's just not worth it at that point. So my my one little caveat type thing is give give when you can, but don't give away the farm. You know, don't give away everything all the time. You are an artist. You're the professional. You're worth it. Absolutely worth it. You're worth the time. You're worth the effort. You're worth the money. Just remember that because people are cheap. People don't want to pay full price for anything nowadays. So just make sure that you stand firm, stand your ground, and make sure that you are getting the money that you deserve. So so let's move on to gear talk. For this week, I'm going to talk to you about a really, really exciting lens. The new Tamron 24-70 G2 with, with vibration control and image stabilization. If you guys have not heard about this lens, or if you're not familiar with like the third-party lens manufacturers like Tamron or Sigma, you really need to to uh, climb out from under the rock that you're under and, uh, and and really check these things out. Tamron and Sigma are changing the lens game right now. They have made lenses for years and years and years, and I never recommended them until recently. Recently, I got a uh, a Sigma Art 35. Uh, millimeter lens for my Nikon and oh my gosh you guys the the clarity the speed of focus the the accuracy and the quiet uh, motor inside is just amazing they're an amazing lens and I would say the reason that they're not just good but great is because of the value that they bring so for instance let's get back to this 24 to 70 give you a few quick specs it's a fixed aperture. It's 2.8, which means you're going to get great shallow depth of field. Uh, it's image stabilized, meaning that you can go way down and, and drag the shutter and still get really sharp images. On lenses that I started with that were used that were from like the early 90s or late 90s, they didn't have any of that image stabilization. And a lot of the camera bodies are even coming out with image stabilization, which just doubles up on that for you. So you can go down to even like one fifteenth of a second, or I saw in some tests, I saw one eighth of a second and still get sharp images. That is crazy. You can be shooting literally almost in the dark and still get a usable image that's going to be sharp. That's crazy. So it has a 82 millimeter filter thread just in case you have any, you know, any polarizing filters or ND filters, just so you know if you need to buy more if you do the, get this lens. It's 825 grams, which is super light. Uh, it's like 1.8 pounds. For those of you that have maybe held or used uh, the Nikon or the Canon L series of 24 to 70, they're freaking heavy. They're, they're a solid, you know, four or five pounds. And uh, obviously they're not as heavy as like a telephoto, but they're pretty chunky and they're pretty hefty. And when you have those around your neck, uh, or even on your back, uh, in a backpack, it really starts to weigh on you. They, if, if you're shooting a wedding all day outside and you're, oh, you, you know, have one or one or two bodies around your neck, you're going to be dying, you know, after a few hours. It's just too heavy. So this 24 to 70 is only 1.8 pounds. It's super, super light. Uh, it's weather sealed and it's really quiet, especially for focusing. So for those of you doing video, if you're doing autofocus, um, this is going to be one of the quieter mid-range zooms that I that I have experienced. Um, obviously, if you're if you're using like a Sony or if you're using uh, a Canon series, um, you may have to get an adapter for your if you're using like an APS-C sensor. So, just be aware of that. Um, 
very solid construction with this lens. I have felt the version one of this lens and it was a little bit more plasticky. It's, it's still plasticky, I guess, as far as construction, but it feels so much more solid than the previous version. There's more metal components, especially on the back plate where it actually connects to the camera. Um, but just overall, like the, the precision of like the zoom, like when you're zooming in and out with the, uh, the, and, and the focus ring, I mean, everything is really, really, uh, high quality and super nice. As far as, uh, an advantage is, uh, I, I'd say the advantage over the Nikon and the Canon right now is just price. You are going to give up a little bit of sharpness and a little bit of clarity uh, when it comes to like the, the sharpness around the edges of things. If you zoom in maybe 200%, you'll see what, I, see what I mean. So for those of you that are shooting with like a Nikon D800, 810, 850, or you know, some of the higher end Canon bodies that are super high megapixel and super high resolution, if you're trying to zoom in really, really, really far, um, this may not be the lens type for you exactly because you're not going to get the sharpness that you're going to get out of the, you know, the Nikon Nikkor series or the, uh, the Canon L series glass. The other thing that you're going to give up is a little bit of minimum focus distance. I found that if I'm taking a picture of something really, really close up, um, I can't quite get almost like a macro function with this lens. I have to go back just a little bit further than I did with uh, my Nikon 24 to 70. And I looked it up. They have a one to five uh, instead of a one to three focus focus distance. So you can actually get quite a bit closer with the Canon and the Nikon uh, than you can with the Tamron. Not really a huge deal breaker for me, if I'm honest, but uh, it does. It is a factor. You need to think about that because you are going to have to swap out to you know something more like a a macro lens the other huge advantage is the price so in the united states it's eleven hundred uh we'll just call it twelve hundred dollars it's it's one one nine nine dollars so twelve hundred bucks for a brand new lens that's a 24 to 70 2.8 with image stabilization that's super sharp super quiet and very precise there is no better value out there than than the Tamron 24 to 70. The the Sigma I've used the previous version which was terrible. I have not had a chance to use the the newer 24 to 70 that Sigma came out with. Um, it's supposed to be much better, but it's also more money. It's like 1499. Like I think it's like around 1500 bucks for for the Sigma and the Tamron is a solid lens. I mean, you can't buy a nicer lens for 1200 bucks. I suppose you could buy a, a used 24-70 Nikon lens, but uh, I don't know if that would necessarily be be as good of a value, honestly. These newer Tamrons are awesome. So, highly recommend that. Go to your local camera store. Ask them to you know bring your camera with you and just ask them if you can try it out, uh, even in the store, Just and you'll see what I mean. It's a great lens. Fantastic. Uh, I was able to actually shoot with it, uh, over this past week, I was photographing the disting distinguished young women. Oh gosh, I can't even say it. The distinguished young women of Idaho program, which is a a, a scholarship uh, program where girls kind of compete with talents and uh, speaking ability and things like that. And it's it's in a really dark environment. It's in an auditorium, and this lens focused really well in the dark. I rarely had any any issue focusing. Um, in the dark. So the next topic I wanted to kind of go through with you guys is just best practices with every camera business. 
So number one, contracts for every client, even if they are free shoots. So every single time you pick up your camera and you point it at somebody with the intent of taking a picture, <laughs> you need to have a signed agreement in place to protect you and to protect them. So mostly to protect you, let's be honest. We want to make sure that uh, we have permission to use their images uh, we, in however we see fit and that we own those images and we, own, and we control how they're used. So if you take pictures of somebody and you give them away without any kind of, uh, uh, without any kind of agreement or contract in place, they might just go off and sell them to somebody and it, it might go up on a billboard and you are not going to get a dime for that because you just gave those photos away. There's no, there's no agreement in place. There's nothing in writing and you're probably just going to be, you know, up a creek. Uh, the other thing you need is, especially for wedding people, um, tell you a quick story. I had a wedding client that at the end of it just tried to kind of shake me down and really just wanted, was kind of dishonest. They wanted their money back and I had done a great job. I provided great images I you know, I had some canvases that I had to deliver as part of our agreement. Those canvases were delivered. And unfortunately, they just wanted to, to get their money back. They're like, yeah, um, we thought about it, and we've just decided that what you charged us was just more than than what we wanted to pay. And we don't feel like we got, you know, two or $3,000 worth of, of photos. And, you know, we just don't feel like photography is, is worth that much money. So we need to get that money back. So they had, I don't know if it was like a buyer's remorse kind of thing or whether it was just a, oh crap, we spent too much money and now we're going to see which, which of the vendors that we hired for our wedding can actually give, give us a discount or give us our money back. And I just told him no. I'm like, sorry. Um, that was an entire weekend away from my family and that was a solid 10 hours of work that I put in just at the venue uh, not to mention all of the time working with the printer and working on your images at the computer I'm like there's no way that I'm, I'm going to discount what I've done because I'm worth what I charged and I gave you a solid professional product great images ones that I'm proud of and that wasn't good enough so I get a scary letter in the mail, and if you're familiar with scary letters, they're just they're usually from an attorney that just says, "Hey, uh, this person has hired me to represent them. I'm going to I'm going to need you to comply with this, or we're going to take this to court." So here's the request from my client: they would like such and such dollar amount by this date. Uh, it needs to be a cashier's check, no questions asked. Sign here that you agree, and uh, we'll we'll watch for the check in the mail. It's a very presumptive and uh, they assume that you're just going to comply because they're an, they're an attorney and they're going to ruin your life. Well, if you have a contract and if it's if it's well made and you had an attorney draft it or uh, you have clauses in there that protect you, that scary letter, you can literally throw it in the garbage. It doesn't do anything. No judge is going to take that to court if you have an agreement in place that clearly states that you were to provide a service that you're going to provide it within a certain amount of hours and you're going to charge this amount of money for it. If they signed and dated each page or, or initialed each page, they understood every single excuse me, every single piece of that agreement that they were signing. 
and they have no business going back on their agreement and and trying to shake you down for money. <clears throat> so don't let people do that. Don't let people get away with that crap. So ultimately, they sent me a series of maybe two or three more scary letters uh, demanding more and more money <laughs> each time, which I thought was hilarious. So we even got up to like eight thousand um, dollars that they were gonna they were going to seek. Um, which they tried to convince me was going to be cheaper than what my legal fees were going to be. And maybe they were right, but they didn't have a leg to stand on. So I just pretty much told them to go pound sand and whatever. So that's contracts. Gotta have a contract. Um, the other thing you need to have, if it's not in your contract already, is a model release. So maybe you're taking pictures uh, in trade. Maybe you're, you've, you've talked to a modeling friend of yours and you're like, hey, can I take some pictures of you? And... Uh, I'll, I'll make sure to give you the images so you can use them for your portfolio or, you know, you have friends that, are, that will do that for you. Just make sure you have a model, a model release signed uh, so that way you can use those images however you'd like and you can use it for marketing material on your website, on your social media, and they really can't come back at you and say, hey, uh, I never authorized you to use those photos. So you need, you need to have that. The next thing is so important. And that's data backup. Uh, you need to make sure you're backing up your hard drives or you're saving all of your primary files. So most of us will have one primary drive where we save everything to, right? Uh, that's how I, I use my workflow is I have two, uh, two large hard drives that are both six terabytes and I mirror them. So I have, as soon as I drop these files onto a hard drive, they automatically get mirrored and copied to the other hard drive. So just in case there's a, uh, an issue with one of the drives, there's a redundant drive uh, to, to protect myself. The other thing that I do is I also back up the entire six terabyte drive. It's not quite full yet, but I'm sure it will be in the near future. Um, I back it up to an external hard drive, and then I store that external hard drive off-site, actually at my parents' house. So I just leave it there. Uh, so that way, if, if there were a fire or a flood or for whatever reason, maybe a theft, I mean, somebody maybe break into my house and steal my computer, I'd be so bummed because that's my entire, you know, portfolio of work that would be walking out the door in those, in those people's hands. And so I need a, a way to protect those. Not only do you need to be protecting your, your images and your video files, but you need to be protecting your personal data too. Um, so I would, I would highly recommend that you encrypt your drives. So every piece, whether it's Mac or Apple, or excuse me, whether it's a PC or Mac, you're going to, you're going to have embedded encryption software in, in your operating system. So for... I guess a tutorial on that, I just hop onto YouTube and say, how do I encrypt my drives for a Mac? Or how do I encrypt my, my hard drives on Windows 10? They both have encryption software. And even your motherboard, if you're on a PC, you can there's, there's encryption software built into the motherboard BIOS. So you can actually protect yourself that way. So personal data like your tax returns, uh, maybe your bank statements, uh, things that you need to have on hand for business purposes you need to back all that up too and store it off-site so whether that's just on a thumb drive if they're smaller files or whether you just need to throw that in combination with your external drive make sure you do that because all of that information may not be replaceable by just 
storing it uh, in your in the cloud or or storing it uh, you know any other way like on a on a disk or something. You need to make sure that it's on a hard drive in one place uh, off site that you can access just in case. So the other thing that I would recommend people do to be successful is keep a very detailed calendar. Everybody needs to keep a detailed calendar when they're running a business. You don't want to be like me. The first couple of years that I started shooting weddings, I I would constantly double book myself. And I think it was just because I was ambitious, but I was also unorganized in the beginning. I didn't understand how to actually run a business at the time or how to no one had ever taught me. It was my 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 really my my first uh, run at the photography business world. So learn from my mistakes. Keep a detailed calendar. Make sure you write everything in, in those uh, calendar notes. So you'll say, okay, August 27th, I'm doing a wedding for this person. This is this person's email, this person's uh, phone number, and this is the venue that it's going to be at. This is what time. And I'm, I'm so paranoid that I'm going to miss an appointment or, or forget about it because I do. I'm, I'm busy. I have kids. I have a regular job. I, I do a lot of different things, and so I kind of can get scatterbrained. There's just not enough bandwidth in my mind to hold all of those items. So keep a detailed calendar and make sure that you uh, set yourself some alerts. Uh, I do, for a wedding, I will do an alert one week out. And then I'll do another alert one day out. So for whatever reason, if something had happened in my life that had just got me super, super distracted, if I have a wedding on Saturday, boom, Friday at like 10 a.m., I'm going to get an alert on my phone. And all of us, we live and die by our phones. We have our phones within, you know, six inches, one foot away from us at any given point in the day. And if you don't, good for you. I'm, I'm glad that you can give up the addiction, but I'm addicted to my phone. I have to have it near me. I constantly am on the phone for work, um, checking emails, things like that. Uh, so I'm going to get that alert because it's close by. Um, the, the, the final thing that I'll give you that is best practices for any camera business is making sure you respond to everyone in a timely manner. Meaning that if you get an email, if you get a text, if you get a phone call, you respond to everybody, regardless if, if it's a, a job that you want or don't want, respond to everyone because everyone is a potential client and you're, you're on a job interview every single time you interact with a new or potential client. So if you get an email for like, I don't know, maybe somebody has a, <laughs> a doggy birthday party or something and you're like, um, that's not really what I do. Um, I don't blame you for not taking that if that's not what you're into, but make sure you respond to them. Don't just go dark and, and not say anything back. Just say, hi, dear dog owner. Unfortunately, I don't do that kind of uh, event, but here's maybe some ideas of some people you could reach out to that, that might be able to help you. That's one thing that I always keep as well is kind of a list of names of referrals that are kind of backup people. So I recently had somebody reach out to me um, to shoot uh, a, a wedding that was going to happen while I'm going to be in New York City. My wife and I were leaving in New York uh, today, actually, and we won't be back for about a week. And I wasn't able to to take take the job. I wasn't able to you know help them out. But I had three or four people that I could say, hey, I don't you know I can't 
personally shoot it, but I have these three people that I know do good work and that I trust, and I'd be happy to point you to them. Um, the reason I do that is I know that those same people have me on their list. And just in case they're unavailable, so like for wedding season, usually I get pretty pretty booked up for the few weddings that I take uh, during the months of like February, March, April-ish. Um, all of my June, July, August, September wedding slots that I've allotted for the year are gone. They're gone by that time. And so maybe somebody in April or May reaches out to one of my friends and they're also booked, and maybe I'm not or vice versa. Um, I can We can refer weddings or we can refer family sessions to each other, and it just keeps everything rolling. So that's it for the main content of the show for episode seven. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Uh, my one interesting thing for this week is a book that I highly, highly recommend. It's by Chris Orwig. If you don't know who Chris Orwig is, he is the godfather of Photoshop. He, I, I, I don't know exactly his role, but he was very instrumental in in making Photoshop for all of us to use and and Adobe Lightroom. So. He, uh, he teaches at a fine art school in, I believe, in Santa Cruz, California. He's a super cool guy. Uh, if you, there's some YouTube videos out there. There's some different tutorials that he teaches on lynda.com, uh, and that's L-Y-N-D-A.com, I believe. Great teacher. Um, fan, fantastic as far as like his knowledge base, his, his passion for photography. His book and he has many out there. I have not had a chance to read all of them, but the one book that I own that I really have appreciated and that has uh, kind of shaped my my mind around the art of uh, the art of actually taking a picture of a person with a purpose is Visual Poetry by Chris Orwig. Uh, you can download it on Amazon. Uh, I think the Kindle price is around twenty bucks. If you want a hardback or, or a paperback copy, it's around fourteen fifteen bucks fantastic book. Highly, highly recommend it. Go check it out. So just brief summary of what we talked about. If you want to make money with your camera, just be smart. Don't do favors for every single person that walks through your door. Reserve those for special occasions, special cases, when you feel uh, the opportunity to give back to somebody. You need to figure out what your time is worth. How much money do you actually need to make per hour to make it worth your time away from your family? Uh, figure out if it's worth giving up your time with your with your kids, with your spouse. Uh, figure out who your customer is and figure out your market. Uh, you can do that by just doing kind of a, a little bit of market research and digging into what everyone else is charging in your area that has been established and go from there. Whether you need to be just as expensive or less expensive so you can be busier. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a great way to go. Highly recommend you guys pick up the Tamron 24-70 to 70 if you're in the market for a mid-range zoom. One of the best wedding lenses you can buy, for sure, for the money. Absolutely re recommend it. And then uh, the last thing that I'll ask is just a little favor. If you guys could go on to, whether it's uh, Apple, I, uh, Apple Podcasts or iTunes, uh, throw us a review. If you're enjoying the show, if you're enjoying the information that I'm putting out there, it would really, really help me out if you could do, you know, even if it's just a five star. You don't have to write a whole lengthy review of what you think of, of the show and the content. You can just do a five star rating. I'd really, really appreciate that. That kind of helps us get found in the organic results of, of iTunes and, and Apple Podcasts so more people uh, that are like you in the photography community and the videography community can find this podcast and find this information. So, uh, 
I'd also really like to hear from you. If you have questions, if you have comments, uh, if you have topics that you would like to discuss, or if you feel like you're a photographer that has an interesting story or an in- interesting perspective on, uh, on things like photography or video, I'd love to talk to you. We'd love to have you on the show. Uh, I want to interview people all over the, all over the country and all, all over the world eventually. And whether we have to talk via Skype or uh, through, through FaceTime, we'll make it happen. You can contact me by emailing at smalltowncamerapodcast at gmail.com or feel free to hop on our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash smalltowncamerapodcast. Catch you guys next week. Take care.